What's going on, everybody? This is Phil from Five Tool Productions, and on today's episode of the Create Smarter Podcast, we're going to talk to someone I know very well, my cousin, Keith Greenbaum. Keith is a photographer based out of New York. We have a great conversation coming up talking all about starting your own business, even before you start, the experience you can get in your own industry, you know, working for someone else and learning from them and, and how that kind of applies to your business long term. We also talk about all the things that sometimes can get in the way of your business, you know, all the busy work that is necessary but takes up time and kind of how to deal with that. And we also talk about, you know, pursuing something that you really enjoy, in Keith's case, photography and how it impacts your life and your hobby and whether or not you can still love it and you do it as a job. So it's a great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And that's all coming up on today's episode of Create Smarter. Keith, welcome into the show, man. What's up, Phil? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. It's always fun to uh, to be able to just you know call your cousin and say, can you can you come on and do this? Yeah, yeah. This works out really well. I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I'm really glad to to actually sit down and talk to you because you know you kind of perfectly encapsulate, I think, what we're trying to do with the show, which is you know people who are who are kind of striking out on their own and and starting starting a business and kind of just making it work. So I think it'll be I think it'll be a really cool conversation. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it. So first off, just start out, I guess, by sharing with the audience um, a little bit more about what you do and, you know, specifically, you know, what industry you're in, but specifically within that industry because it's pretty broad. So just share a little bit about what you do. So yeah, I, I work as a freelance photographer and I own my own business. I now own Keith Greenbaum Studio Incorporated. Uh, I like to say that the majority of my work, or I like to say that about 30% of my job is photography. Uh, the 70% outside of that is managing the business, um, <laughs> paperwork, finding new teams, brainstorming, coming up with new concepts. I mean, there is a bulk of work outside of actually taking pictures um, that is photography. But um, getting ahead of, a little bit ahead of myself. No, um, I, I mean, that's actually a, a great point, though. Like, did you expect that to be the balance when you first thought, like, I really want to be a photographer. I know you've always been you've always been, you know, a creative person when you first like I really want to launch my business. Do you expect the balance to be quite skewed quite that heavily to the getting Definitely stuff not. done side instead of the actually taking pictures side of things? Absolutely not. And uh and actually I didn't really plan on becoming a photographer at all. I mean, uh you know, my mom uh, is a painter, my sister is a painter. Um, I kind of found myself in printmaking in college um, just because I really loved it. I, I, I loved the process. But um, similar to painting, it was a little too slow for me. Uh, <laughs> I like immediate results. But, but also, um, after my second year in art school, I transferred to, um, to the University at Albany where I studied business and minored in, well, I'm sorry, I studied communications. I minored in business and art to try and come up with a, a more well, well-rounded education. And um, I was working in the print shop there after being the print shop monitor in the Conservatory of Arts at Purchase College. I got banned from the print shop. I was banned for life. And I what had did you do? What did you do? <laughs> so, so there was a... Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard this, actually. You don't know this story? No. Yeah, there was a, there's an event 
every year um, around St. Patrick's Day at Albany. It's a big drinking event. It's, you know, it's a party school. And the event <laughs> is called Kegs and Eggs. Okay. Um, and so I printed t-shirts to sell, to promote the event. Because, you know, that's what I did at Purchase. I mean, as a printmaking major, which is what I was at, at Purchase, it was your, like, sacred duty to print posters, t-shirts, anything, everything for all upcoming events. So it just came naturally to me. I should print these shirts and why not make a few bucks on the side? Right. Um, but the head of the printmaking department found out that I was selling these t-shirts, you know, to profit off an event that was involved with alcohol. And she banned me for life. No questions asked. So, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, no appeal yeah. process? Nothing? Nothing. That was it. And um, so I joined the photo services. And that was kind of what kick-started, uh, you know, the beginning of my career. So what was, like, the progression after that? Like, because it's not just immediate, like, oh, you're launching your own studio. Like, photography is a type of industry where there's a lot of dues to be paid and a lot of, you know, PAing to be done and a lot of, you know, not glamorous work to kind of to pay your dues and work your way up. So like what what was kind of the bridge between that and, and you know, actually getting out and, and launching your own business? For sure. Yeah. And I, I've done a lot of that. Um, it's all stepping stones. Right. But um, I started in this. Um, it was called the University Photo Services. It was a club. Um, I joined after leaving the printmaking department and they were basically uh, tasked with the job of shooting for the yearbook, right? So we could rent out a camera for five days at a time, whatever it was, and find events on campus and shoot them. And it wasn't always the most glamorous work, but um, I got to shoot a couple concerts, which was fun. Um, I forget the name of the band at the time. It was, it was a DJ. I don't remember it right off. Oh, but I did. I did photograph two chains. Oh, nice! Um, like like twenty years from now, you'll tell someone that, and they'll be like, "I have no idea what that is." But for everyone like in our generation, it'll perfectly encapsulate a moment in time. <laughs> like, not going to be relevant in twenty five years, but for everyone around our age, they'll be like, "Yes, that is awesome." <laughs> yeah, I think right before them, uh, LMFAO performed. Oh, that's another like, one. That's another you know, one. Here. Did you know, though, by the way, that uh, they're a family group, LMFAO? It was an uncle and nephew? No, I did not know that. That sounds, that that sounds made up. I feel like so it's I'm very possible you're making that up right now, but, but I have no idea. Uh, I, I would fact check it, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Fair enough. But anyway, so joining the photo services gave me access to uh, to cameras that I didn't own or hadn't played around with too much other than just, you know, taking a few photos here and there. I mean, I, I was someone that always had a point and shoot on me, but um, I just hadn't invested in a DSLR. Um, and so, you know, just a Canon camera and then I'd get like a 14 millimeter fisheye lens and play around with that and take photos of my roommates and stuff. What, what it allowed me to do was pursue an interest that was marketing. I, I wanted to, to go down that road and I could walk into a marketing position and say, hey, I also take photos. Like, right. I have experience with this. And um, I got a job while I was in school or an internship, a paid internship, uh, working at 
NYSID or NYSID. Mm -hmm. It's New York State Industries for the Disabled. And it was a really rewarding job. We were working on um, providing employment for people with developmental and physical disabilities. And, uh, you know, it was a a really nice bridge, but um, ultimately I... I really just didn't want to be in an office all day. Right. Um, but it was cool. I mean, I also got to explore other options. I, I did a little bit of graphic design with them. But even that, I still kind of realized I don't really like graphic design. But I liked photography. Um, and I was able to continue the internship after school. Um, I got a job with them. Uh, you know, it was rewarding, but... Ultimately, I didn't really want to be in Albany, but I didn't have a way out. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I have a friend from from my hometown, from Ossining, who I knew was pursuing photography and was working with a photographer in New York. And he called me one day and said, hey, man, he's a few years older than me. Uh, he said his name's Tommy Evans. I, I think you met yeah, yeah. him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he says, he says hey, uh, you know, I'm working in the city. I don't want to be here. I, I want to leave New York and my wife's pregnant. I'm, I'm going to have a kid. I, I can't really work as a photo assistant right now. It's just not in the cards for me. Would you want this position? And I was like, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I kind of always had in the back of my mind, like, I felt that like if I could get a position like that, I could really make something out of it. And so when he called, it just felt like serendipitous. And I think it was like two weeks later that I left my lease in Albany and just moved home. And was like, I'm, I'm out. I'm, out. I'm going back to New York. I need to be in New York City. Um, and yeah, I, I met with the photographer. His name is Jack Deutsch. Um, and he was like, what do you know? What can you do? Uh, Photoshop? <laughs> can you do uh, silhouetting? Like, can you make silos? Which is, you know, basically a product photographer takes a photo of a product. They might want to silo out the background so it's just on white to sell online. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I, I used to do that for printmaking, for, you know, digital assets all the time. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. You just like looking it up and figuring it out as you go, right? Yeah, I mean, the first day working there... He sat me down and was like, hey, I shot this cookbook. Can you edit it for me? And I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Tommy, Tommy, (laughs) how do I do this? (laughs) What do I do here? And uh, I I, I feel this, you know, I feel like everybody has like a similar story. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, I'm a smart person. Like, whatever, I can figure this out. And it's like, you know, YouTube tutorials and, you know, (laughs) just asking someone who's like graduated a couple years ahead of you or whatever, like, lean over in my first job and be like, lean over to the cube next to you and be like, dude, do you have any idea how to like use this magic wand thing in Photoshop thinking back yeah, like 10 years? I'm like, Which is still to this day, like the most important and probably my most used tool in Photoshop. That was the first thing I worked on that day. I was just like removing dust spots from bell peppers in a cookbook. That <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, there's also, you know, personal preference. How would he do this? Um, which actually became a thing later. I had to kind of learn to work um, as if I were Jack. Right. I quickly realized that I knew nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, I know my way around a camera, you know, but I really didn't understand light and I didn't understand 
what I could do with a camera. And I feel actually, still to this day, I think that there's a huge benefit to not knowing too much or to to um, to not being, I, I guess there's a benefit to, to not being jaded, right? Is that like you can kind of like trip and fall into things. And I kind of feel like that's what happened to me. Uh, oh, by the way, our, our original agreement was um, I met Jack. He asked if, if I could um, do some silhouetting, if I could do some Photoshop work for him. Would I be interested in working? And he's like, I can't really pay you, but I can pay you in a Metro card. Oh, my God. And I, can get you, I can get you like the client will pay for your meals. Right. So transportation and my food was covered. And so for me, I had no reason not to. I mean, that was literally all I needed. I just needed to be there. Right. And uh, yeah, it worked out. But that's um, not. I mean, like I think, I think people who don't work, who don't come up like working in media, don't understand that that's kind of the norm, right? Like I did unpaid internships. I did I did work for for next to nothing or nothing at all. And it's like, yeah, it was val. I mean, it was valuable experience, and I really do feel like it helped me a lot. But I think people who don't who aren't trying to come up in you know I was trying to come up in radio originally people who don't come up in a field like that don't necessarily understand that that's that's kind of what happens to most people right yeah um i will say though i think that um there's been a lot of talk especially in photography about like the damaging effects of digital um like oh well you know you're losing the craft you're um the digital will never be as beautiful as film. And that's like a debate that could go on forever and ever. But um, one thing that I've really seen uh, that I think has really kind of affected the industry is that as, um, as entry to the industry got, I don't know how to say this. I mean, I guess as digital quality got better and more accessible, so you know, anybody could pick up a digital camera and set it to some auto function and right. be able to shoot and shoot something halfway dis- decent. It's well, it's lowered the bar, but it's also, it's made it easier for people to come into the industry without working in some type of apprenticeship. Right. The problem there is, you know, it doesn't allow people the opportunity to see like, how do pricing structures work? Why, why is licensing important? Why is why should I like how should I treat clients and I think it can really negatively affect the industry but I feel really lucky that I had the opportunity to shadow somebody that had been in the industry for 30 years and I could I could watch how he talked to clients and and see the full process especially working behind the computer editing those files um, so for you, so for you, you think it was, you know, if if you were talking to someone like who's in your who was in your position, the position you were in, you know, just coming out and trying to get started, you would say, you know, take the metro card pay and the and the meal pay and just do it and actually try to learn, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, the money is not important at all. I mean, I I ended up staying with Jack for three years, um, and part of it was I just like hanging out with the guy. I mean, right. we're basically family at this point. I, I, rent, or I lent him a uh, video recorder for the week last week, and he's going to come drop it off tomorrow. But um, just feel like you can't 
you can't confuse the two experience and money. It, it, they just don't go hand in hand. And no, yeah. I mean, it makes, it makes total sense. And like I said, I feel, I feel very similarly, my unpaid internships, you know, yielded some of the best experience I had. And it was different because I was working, you know, learning, it was a lot more, um, you're talking about a lot more like experiential learning, you know, like how to, how to deal with clients and just how to talk to people and, and stuff like that. I think a lot of mine was a lot more tactical, but it's the same thing. It's just like, you know, real world things are happening fast and you have to get stuff done. So like, you know, it, it sucks, but it's, you know, you, you wish there was just money, money there too, but I guess it's just the reality is sometimes there's not. So, but at some point yeah. you do have to make money. So like what, like what was the transition for you? Like at what point did you say like, I'm going to do this on my own? Like I, I have le- not that, you know, as you said, like you're always learning and it's good to remember that you don't know everything. But at what point did you say like, I'm good, I'm good. I can try to do a little bit more of this and like take it out on my own a little bit. Um, I think it was really from like day one. Yeah. Uh, as, as strange as that might sound, I, I, I think that the moment I was told that there wouldn't be pay associated with it, I thought I have to do everything I can to afford this job. In a way, I felt like any money I made was to pay for this unpaid internship. Right. Like, um, so I'm learning these skills. Okay, now I know how to retouch. Well, I should contact some people that are shooting and ask if I could retouch their images. Um, I have friends that went to school that did jewelry design. Do they need photos? Like, I'm learning how to shoot products. It might be boring work, but it'll pay my bills, you know? I need, I need to live in New York City. Like, I was, you know, I started commuting from Westchester, and, you know, it wears on you. Right. It's it's a lot easier when you can just roll out of bed and hop on the train and be at work in, in no time. Well, and it chews into your day, too. If someone's like, I want to shoot at 7 a.m., you're like, okay, I guess I'm just going to sleep in Grand Central and hope that they don't see me. Like, what are you going to do to get there that early? You know, it's not just a wear and tear thing. It's true. And, and also, um, you're more of a valuable asset being in the city because, um, let's say, I mean, right now it's it's snowing, right? Right. <laughs> in Brooklyn, um, I remember there were days when, so I came in as an intern, but there was a first assistant who was there almost every day, and there were days when there were, it was blizzard conditions and he couldn't make it in from Long Island. Right. And I was in Brooklyn. I could roll out of bed, hop on the L train, and be there in half an hour, and it was no problem because right. they're constantly, you know clearing the tracks when they have to, or, you know, the L's underground the whole way. So it's not too much of an issue, but I was available. He didn't have to call somebody else, you know? Um, but what's, so. but on the flip side of that, one of the things I, I find interesting is like New York is just like a crowded place to be as someone trying to be a photographer. Like there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of photographers in New York and obviously there's enough business, but also, you know, you have to be the one to get, the business, right? So what has that experience been like being, you know, it's probably a lot easier if you're in some ways, you know, if you are in Albany or if you're in the middle of nowhere, there's probably less high quality competition, but also less work. So what's that experience been like for you in like a really, you know, the biggest city in the world, you know, a really crowded market, especially in your industry? Yeah. And I think that actually ties back to your last question, which was um, about when did I start taking on jobs, right? Like when did I that I was going to start shooting my own work. Um, I really just love to talk to people. Um, anybody, 
everywhere. I, I will talk to random strangers on the side of the road just because I find it entertaining. I like to find out about people, see what makes them tick and tell a joke just to hear someone laugh and, you know, share that moment. That, that's cool to me. And so what I realized was that was huge for networking. Right. Uh, and pretty quickly being around art directors and creatives, photographers, editors, etc. I would just strike up conversations and eventually, you know, every one in 10 would say, well, what are you shooting? What do you shoot? And I had a website together that was like my graphic design. I had like printmaking. I had some photos on there and I would forward them to that. And I was like, I've got to, I've got to choose. I have to pick and I pick photography. Like I like this industry. I'm going to dive in. Right. And, um, but yeah, it was, it just kind of felt like it came naturally the, that I would strike up a conversation with someone if things started work, if things meshed and we kept talking and they would ask me about what I did, I could introduce my work and I would almost always ask, you know, do you have something to shoot? Do you, can I help you? How can I shoot? something for you you know so so a lot of this is really like you you just especially in this industry like in you know in your industry that you're working in like you just have to be willing to put yourself out there like constantly you have to be willing to put yourself out there yeah i I will say uh probably 90 percent of the work that i have is word of from word of mouth right i mean i do very little if any advertising yeah. And I mean, like, that doesn't happen overnight either, right? Like, you have to build that network up, you know, and have one client tell another potential client, like, hey, you should work with this guy. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. And so when I started with Jack, I came in as an intern who, you know, I had a limited uh, scope of, of understanding of the industry, but I picked up whatever I could. I tried to constantly be learning. And, um, you know, I, I started assisting for him. He started to trust me to bring me on the job and it would be like kind of like pennies <laughs> would be adding right. up. Right. I would sometimes get a job as second assistant and, um, you know, that would pay a certain amount and I could stash that away and try and pick something up on the side. But I have kind of lost my train No, no. It's all, I think one of the things I wanted to ask you about was like um, – so in like the video production space, like where we kind of live video production and marketing, I think that there's like a fairly collegial relationship with like other production companies. Like a lot of times we'll be going on a big shoot and we're like, we need some help. We need some extra people to come run camera. It's like, it's not, yeah. it's not necessarily competitive. It's, it's pretty friendly, right? Like, even though technically like we might be going out for similar clients, we don't generally encounter people who are like hostile or competitive. How do you, do you see the, the landscape being similar in photography and like what you know how has that how has that played out for you and how has that benefited or hurt you like have that what's your experience been like working alongside or against you know people trying to do the same work as you um yeah i i kind of feel that it is a bit more cutthroat in photography Interesting. i just there's yeah. more photographers out there and maybe that lends itself to being a very competitive industry but honestly i would rather see my friends do well you know, no matter what. So um, I try not to harbor any grudges or, um, you know, think negatively about anyone else in the industry. But um, if I see a job that I might not be a perfect fit for or I'm already booked, 
I reach out to friends all the time and try to get them on the job. Um, the funny thing is, you know, this is, I guess, five years after I first started working for Jack. And him and I have actually traded a few clients. At oh, this really? Point. And uh, I like it. I mean, I, I'm totally fine with that. You know, no hard feelings at all. And, but you're uh, like, you're like the most easygoing dude on earth. So like, <laughs> not everybody is going to be that way. Like, I just really wish that more people could just, I don't know, take it easy a little bit, <laughs> not be so cutthroat because we're all doing the same thing. We're all just trying to make beautiful images and. You know, at the end of the day, that's all that matters to me. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not everyone shares that. I'd assume not everyone shares that opinion. You know, most people are a little, you know, a little more aggressive. You know, I don't you don't strike me as the type of person who's like going to get road rage. Right. Like you're pretty chill. <laughs> like, I definitely get road rage. No, come on. I don't even I don't even buy that. For, I don't think I've known you my entire life. I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever seen you get angry about anything. Like, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Uh, yeah, I get road rage. That's okay, sure. maybe that's the one time. I've never, I guess I've never driven with you, so maybe that's the one time. Uh, Lauren and I, uh, my girlfriend, Lauren, um, we have a rule that when we go on vacation, we don't rent a car. <laughs> oh, God, I touched a nerve here. Like, it definitely <laughs> is the one thing. We decided we had a bad vacation one time. It was a, a rough trip to the island of Martinique, um, British Virgin or French Virgin Island, and uh, we had some uh, some challenging <laughs> experiences. Oh in the my car. God! Yeah. Well, okay. Well, lesson learned there. Lesson learned there. But um, I will say, I just I I feel that uh, you know we're all we should be in this industry. We should com- be competing to make the best work possible, but not competing against each other. That's a good. I like that. That's a good way to look at it, right? Like you should if if you lose out on a client and it's because, you know, someone does better work than you, then you should try to do better work, right? Like, it's like, they always, in baseball, it's always like pitchers get mad if, if a guy shows them up after, he hit, after they hit a home run off him. It's like, all right, well, don't give up a home run, right? Like, do better work. Yeah, and, and uh, I forget where I heard this uh, pretty recently, but um, it was one of those cheesy quotes, which I kind of love, uh, but it was uh, something along the lines of, success is failing and coming back every time with the same enthusiasm and that's something i really try to live by is like so what something sucks like at the moment you know if you get too bogged down about it you're never gonna you know get over that next hurdle that seems like as good a time as any to transition to a story i want you to tell which i heard secondhand and i haven't heard from you yet so i need to hear it from you um the bumps in the road and i heard a specific story about, you know, obviously there's two airports in New York, which which play into this. So, like, I need you to share the story with me about um, trying to book, you know, you had an international job and trying to get there and, and the hurdles you went into. And I just, I need you to take this one and tell it because it is fantastic. Sure, yeah. Um, so I got booked for a travel job, uh, my first big travel job. I mean, I've, I've never been... Um, to Asia. I mean, I'd only been outside of the U.S. once. I mean, I'd I'd been to the French Virgin Islands, as I mentioned before, and I'd been to Italy, but that was also with family um, in Italy. Uh, But this was an accomplishment for me. One, because I've gotten someone to trust me enough that they'll bring me across the world. Right. Uh, and, And two, just, you know, I'm totally on my own at this point. You know, I'm, I'm no longer assisting. I'm 
making it happen and it, it's going well. Uh, so this was a huge job for me and the job was in Singapore, right? So uh, the, the client and their team was leaving from Houston and I would be leaving from New York. So we were on separate planes and we would all arrive and meet in Singapore. So yeah, you mentioned there's two airports in New York. There's JFK and LaGuardia. And I had always said to myself, I'll never go to Newark. Like, it's just <laughs> gross. I don't like Jersey. <laughs> I, honestly, I, when I think about it, I have no reason not to like it. It's more just that it's outside of New York. It's just like uh, how you're trained as a New Yorker. It's yeah, like, we're I'm totally, not, yeah. I'm not going to Newark. Come on. Yeah. And, um, but prior to this trip to Singapore, I had taken, I think it was at least two flights. You know, Lauren's family lives in, in Las Vegas, and we, we found a flight from Newark that was so cheap. Oh, and she's got a friend in, uh, in Reno, and the flight was dirt cheap from Newark, so we just said, screw it, we'll, we'll take, a, uh, take a flight from there. Right. That's, you know, the foreshadowing, but... Um, <laughs> so, you're, so, obviously, you, did you accidentally book the flight out of Newark? No, no, no. So, um, so I had to leave... To, you know, for an international flight, you have to leave, you have to be at the airport three hours early. So I think I had like a nine o'clock flight. I left the, the apartment at like 5.30 a.m. Like I was, I was so ready. I had 50 pounds of luggage with me, right. all of my equipment. Um, I had double checked, triple checked everything. I was good to go. And before I left in the morning, I looked at my phone and I looked at my ticket and okay, all right, I'm going to Newark. That's that's <laughs> what I like. This. <laughs> you just got it. You you already broke that sacred vow once, so you're you're just conditioned to it at this point. Yeah, and so I you know I hop in the cab. Um, I figure let me just be quick as possible. I'll take a cab there, and I, I get to the airport. I'm you know essentially two and a half hours early for my flight um and I, I bring my passport up to the gate and she says there's no flight going to <laughs> to singapore and i was like no no, no you got to be kidding me please check again no no flight going to singapore so she checks the machine and she looks at me and she says you're at the wrong airport <laughs> i mean i must have checked that flight itinerary like five times, and it said JFK, and I know it said JFK, but every single time I saw EWR. Oh my God! So, um, so now you've got so like two hours, her. right? If that. I look at her and I say, "Can I make it?" And she says, "No." Straight up, she didn't even give you any hope. No. That's horrible. And I, yeah, and I'm freaking out. So, when is the next flight? Well, the next flight leaves at 12 a.m. tomorrow, which would mean I would technically get into Singapore um, like an hour before or like the hour I'm supposed to start shooting. Like not an option. Project. It's just not an option. It's just not an option. I just I I would miss I would miss that first project. I mean, I was there for five days, but obviously I don't want to miss any of it. So I'm freaking out. And another attendant looks at me and goes, JFK, you good? <laughs> He's like, but you gotta leave now. 
So I take my, you know, 50 plus pound suitcase, which they told me was overweight and I'd have to pay for, I think it was 50, 60 bucks, right. 75. I've got a backpack with my laptop, my camera's in it, and I've got a seaport case with my uh, laptop in it. Just basically a heavy duty laptop case. Um, and I gun it, run down the escalators. And I, at the top of the escalator, I go, I'm at the wrong airport. <laughs> like, Red Sea. like everyone just moved left. And I sprinted down um, across the um, drop off zone and to the taxi pull up. Uh, and I see a woman with a ticket about to get a cab. And I said to her, please, please, I'm at the wrong airport. May I please take this taxi? And she looks at me and she says, you know, I don't see how it makes a difference if you take my taxi or the next taxi. And I just looked at her like, are you kidding me? And she's like, fine, fine. And she let me take the cab. And I, in hindsight, there was a huge difference. I mean, that cab driver literally saved my life. <laughs> we get in the cab. I throw all my stuff in. I'm like frantically throwing everything in. And I said to him, I'm like, hey, can I make it? to JFK and he's like maybe so it's like what do you mean maybe and he said well technically you can make it but if we hit any traffic you might not so keep your fingers crossed and I'll do whatever I can to make it there I was like please please just pedal to the metal do what you have to like let's just get there um, I call Emirates on the way there I tell them I'm running late I'm yeah I'm just like sweating bullets at this point and i i think okay i've got a bunch of cash in my wallet um my mom had given me a bunch like <laughs> as insurance i had pulled about out a bunch just in case and i said i want to be as quick as possible so i said i'm gonna pay you now so then when we get to the airport uh, i don't have to waste any time and i was like i really think you're doing everything you can to get me there i really appreciate it you've been super assuring like here, like I gave him a nice tip, and he's like, and then he's oh. really then he's really going fast to get you there. <laughs> but then he's like, "Oh, thank you. I have a tip for you." <laughs> I was like, "What?" And he's like, "When you get to the airport, take a wheelchair." <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what? And he's like, "Take a wheelchair," and I'm just like, I, I was like morally objecting. There's just no chance I'm taking a wheelchair. It's just not going to happen. And he's like, I do it every time. Oh, I'm my God. <laughs> I was like, no way. No way. Okay. So can you show me where the, can you show me where the, um, where the wheelchairs are? And he's like, I got you. I got you. So we pull up to, um, to uh, departures. And he's got one of those yellow cab, uh, yellow cab, SUVs. Yep. It's a big car. And it's right outside of the gate, and he just disappears. <laughs> and I'm like, I do not there. have time for this, dude. No, because well, what happened was, you know, I had just over three hours, but it took me about an hour to get to Newark. I found out I was at the wrong airport. It took me about an hour to get to JFK. So three hours becomes two hours. Essentially, becomes forty-five minutes as I'm standing there. So I, essentially, I've got like a fifteen-minute window to get through security. Right. And right. I'm standing there with all my luggage, and he's just gone. So I'm like, <laughs> do I risk it and wait, or what do I do? And he comes back 
with a wheelchair. Just like a few minutes later, a woman with a wheelchair rolls up and she goes, um, who's injured? <laughs> oh, no. like, oh, my ankle. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't sing the blues too hard. She just stepped me down put all of my luggage on it. And I kid you not, I was through security. I was through baggage claim, which they didn't even mention the overweight bag. They waved it right through, through baggage claim and security, maybe 10 minutes. And you're like, dude, this is, it's just a mirror. And you're like, I'm going to, you say like, oh, you feel bad. And like, you're morally object. You just pay it forward in the universe. Like they saved your life. You just pay it forward later, man. Don't even worry about it. (laughs) I still pretty scared being in the wheelchair because like there were times when they like before we went to security they pulled me over and they were like we're gonna need to scan his ticket and I was like they're gonna find out (laughs) I I shouldn't be in this like this is no good and uh it was just procedural they just needed to like keep records but so they brought me through and she she wheels me to my gate and she says to me do you need me to stay with you to help you get on the plane and I was like no, no, I think I can do it on my own. And she's like, okay, all right, you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. And so I, I sit down in a, in a chair, but she folds up the wheelchair and then sits down like five rows away. And I'm thinking to myself, damn, I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I had been through this whole excursion. I don't think I ate breakfast. Um, and I was like, I, I got to get some food, but I, I can't walk over there. <laughs> So I waited until she left, and then I limped over to Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, my God. Just in case you saw me. <laughs> You're like, it's just like you'll never you'll never make that mistake again. Like, you'll never make that mistake again. I got but you made food. it. But you made it. Yeah, I got some food. I sat down. I called my girlfriend, and I said, yeah, I got to the airport just fine. You didn't even <laughs> tell her yet. <laughs> I didn't tell that story to her for, like, two months after. <laughs> Oh, so that's so that's the bad. So that's so that's like the worst. Is that the worst? Is that like the worst experience, or has there been like what's has there been like a really negative experience? Like what's what's been bumps in the road for you? Like that's obviously an extreme example, but like what are some things that have been like hurdles or bumps in the road for you? Like is that the worst, or is there stuff that you deal with constantly? Like what what's on what what, I feel what like slows maybe, you down? Maybe I uh, maybe a sign of uh, of uh, making it is. Uh, I kind of feel like I might have been undercut for the first time. Whoa, hey, that's pretty cool. I, I mean, it's it's terrible because <laughs> I think that uh, a client that kept me very busy may have uh, found a recent college grad to oh, do their Oh, man. As they could pay them less, maybe. Yeah, I, but I that, means, assume, you're, but that but means you're big time, though. I, I guess so. I mean... I, I at the moment I'm just focusing on taking, you know, bigger projects. So maybe that that's the sign, that's the transition point. And I, I mean, it sucks to lose it, but it's gotta it's gotta make you feel like okay, okay, I'm I'm here, man. I've arrived. Like look yeah, at me. I mean, I I'm uh, I'm doing this interview or uh, this talk from my studio in Williamsburg, and you know I I'm so proud to have a studio. I I mean, from you know, the very moment that I first started shooting, I did whatever I could to make it work. You know, I shot a jacks on the weekends. I stayed one night until 4 a.m. to do a photo to submit to uh, a competition with the National Portrait Gallery. Um, 
actually, I was printing my portfolio last week, and maybe half of those images were shot in my living room. Wow. And like, now I have a studio and like a space I can feel, you know, proud to bring a client to, and it's pretty cool. That's awesome. So like, what's next? Like, what's you said you want to work on bigger projects, but like, what's next? Um, I'm meeting with an agent next week. Hey, so that's awesome. Representation. Um, you know, I I, uh, I have had the fortune uh, the fortune of of making a lot of clients on my own, um, word of mouth, etc. Um, and I I think that in order to take it up the next level, I, I'm. I think a rep would help. Um, you know, I can take on a lot of clients on my own, but I think some jobs are just kind of behind a curtain unless you have someone to speak for you. Yeah, definitely. And from that standpoint too, like what about from like a marketing standpoint, like what have you, I know you said most of it's word of mouth, but like you still have to have a presence and a brand and everything. So like what does that look like for you? Um, I, you know, I think that, this kind of goes back to like work begets work, right? Like I think you figure that out as, as you work, you know, I, I had a professor, uh, Cassandra Hooper at Purchase College, right? She was, funny thing is I was a, I was working at the farmer's market in my hometown and she was one of my favorite customers. And then she ended up accepting my <laughs> portfolio at Purchase. She reviewed my portfolio, which was super cool. Um, but I asked her, I was like, what, how do you, create a style like what is it that that makes your voice and she was like work right like you don't decide what you make I mean you don't you don't just sit down and, and say this is what I do it, it it's a result of the work and, and what you produce and you know I, I think that I'm just gonna keep making work and and try to push boundaries and make new things and, and you know things will always evolve so in terms of of branding and uh, you know, just in general, I, I hope to always be evolving, changing with the times, and and making new work that's uh, you know relevant and also, I guess, lasting. I mean, that's 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 really cool advice. though. like to hear that from somebody too, it's like it's not just going to magically happen. Like the way that you you know develop an identity is to is to just keep doing it and figure out what it is right that's that's really i like that advice a lot i think that applies to like everyone and it's and it goes back to everything you've talked about too um it's it's a it's a really nice thing to fall back on if you ever feel like you're kind of lost just realize like you can flip through everything you've done or or uh you know the projects you've worked on it and just like realize that you've come so far from where you were right right um, just a couple more, couple more things. One of the things I always w- wonder about, like, you know, photography is obviously something you can do, you know, just as a casual hobby too. And like, you enjoy it personally, but like, has this, has doing this, you know, obviously full time and starting a business around it, has it changed the way that you approach it? Like, do you not enjoy it personally anymore? Or has it like made you enjoy it more? Like h- how has that changed for you as you, as you obviously work on this every day? It's, it's a really interesting question. Um, and uh, there was a documentary I watched recently. Photographer's name is Jay Mizell. Okay. Right. He is uh, a legendary photographer, and partly because he owned this massive structure in Soho. You know, when you could buy buildings in Soho or, <laughs> or an apartment in Soho, 
and it wouldn't kill you. Right. Uh, right. Rent wouldn't kill you, but maybe the neighborhood would. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he owned this historic landmark building, uh, an old bank in Soho, and I, I watched an incredible documentary on it. They go through this space. I mean, he had 65 rooms, and every room was basically a studio. And he was a fanatic. I mean, he was obsessed with photography. He would fit these, he would fill these rooms with objects that he basically hoarded. And then he would cover the windows with different colored gels. And one would be a red room and a purple room and an orange room. And as the space evolved, he would photograph it. And he was just constantly shooting. And he said, there are people, there are two people in this world. And I might have this quote wrong, but he says, those who take photos and those who love to take photos. Mm -hmm. and, and what he was trying to say, I, I think that quote's a little off, but what he was trying to say was that, like, you don't necessarily have to even take a great photo. As long as you love having your camera in your hand, it feels good to take a photo. All right. And I, I kind of feel that I've, when I'm not working, when I'm not making something that's for a client um, or, or for a personal project, I almost always still have my camera in my hands and I'm always shooting because it feels good. I, I like it. And, and, you know, it's evolved to the point where I'm working on a project right now where um, it's primarily based in like Mexico, right? I, I've been going back to Oaxaca City. This is the second year in a row. And I take photos out of the car window because I love to look. So I'm just constantly shooting. By the end of it, I might have 3,000 images, and there's 10 in there that I love, and I really just enjoy doing it. So, so no, it, I don't feel like it's a task, um, but I will say I have a really easy time working on deadlines with clients, you know, where someone says, I need this photo, and I need it in three days. Right. I, can, I can get it out, you know, I know exactly what I have to do to shoot it in a way that I can edit it quickly, how many images I can do in that time. But when it comes to my personal work, that just goes out the window completely. <laughs> and it might be months until, I mean, I literally looked at those photos from Mexico that I shot a month ago, like for the first time last weekend. Right. And, and I have people all the time asking me like, hey, can you send me that photo you took of me? And like, I just, I don't know. It, there's like a disconnect for me for some reason. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I guess I treat them a little differently, but no, I, I, I love it. That's good. Well, that's good. I was worried you're going to be like, yeah, man, I'm like beat down and like, you know. <laughs> I will, I will give you one, one, um, instance where that's true. Um, I went to a wedding last year. Uh oh. Did they ask I you to, did they ask you to shoot it or the rehearsal dinner? Okay. And I was greeted with, uh, where's your camera? Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's in the car. And they're like, oh, we were expecting you to take photos. <laughs> Without like, even asking? Well, that's the thing is, like, I love doing it. So, like, if someone had asked me, like, I would probably do it. No problem. I, I would, you know, a close friend I'd be happy to do it for. But, um... Yeah. Well, it's also just like that was that was when I was like, come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a totally different experience. Like, if you decide to just do it and like take pictures casually, as opposed to like 
you know, are you a client now? Like, are you expecting something specific from this? Or is it just going to be like, if I get a couple good ones, if I get a couple good keepers, like you're going to, you're going to be happy with it? Or are you looking for, you know, documenting of this whole event, right? Like, it's a huge difference. Well, that's the thing. And I think that's something that people don't consider. And it goes back to like, something I think about a lot that, you know, some people just don't understand what goes into it. And um, there is a lot more than just clicking a button. But but also, if somebody asks me to do some photography for them, my thought is never to do it halfway. Like, I take pride in my work, and I want to dedicate as much of myself to it as I can. Like, I want to make the best pictures at every opportunity. And part of that is also just like, I mean, part of it is is making yourself available, like, during that rehearsal, you know, like constantly having my camera in my hand and looking for shots at every moment. And then also like, they're going to want those photos in a couple of weeks, but I also have clients that right. are asking for photos and yeah, it, it becomes a tangled web when. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, it's a totally, ask- <clears throat> it's just like a, to- and like you said, if it's a close friend, you can like set the expectation a little more, but like all of a sudden it's like, yeah, man, you, you're not a client because I'm doing you a favor. So like it, you know, you're not getting it tomorrow. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. But tomorrow always becomes later when it's like a favor. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I have another job that came in. I have, like, that's my career. That's my job. Right. Yes. This is photography, but this isn't, <laughs> this right. isn't a job. I, you know, and I can't treat it that way, but I want to, a part of me just wants to dedicate all my time to it. And right. so, yeah. yeah. When I when I get asked to do a, a, a favor, it's, it's a tough question. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's tough to navigate. Um, okay. One more, one more thing. You, you talked about it a lot probably, but direct question. If like you could give advice to a photog who's coming out of college and just getting started with your experience now, like what would it be? I recently had an intern, my first intern. And what I tried to stress to her was that working for me would not be the answer. And this is the kind of like the way I saw myself in my first position was, I can only learn so much here, but I have to do everything on my own. I have to seek clients. I have to find a niche. I have to see what works best for me. I just think you have to be constantly looking, right? Looking at what you're doing, what you're making, and where you can go. So. Um, I guess a a big shift for me was I started shooting um, fashion, right? I I just thought fashion was cool. I was like, oh, there's so much room in this industry and for creativity, and it's so intriguing. Um, But I kept uh, getting these jobs shooting still life, you know, and I would really dive into it. Like, I got a a job shooting for an Italian sock company. And I went to the Grand Central Market and got three fresh piles of Italian pasta in the you know the colors of the Italian flag. And I got all these antique books and, and everything. And I mean, it was Lauren that really pointed it out to me, but she was like, you're really good at this. You really like this. And, and like, it's observations like that, like finding your strong suit, like finding where you excel and just following it because I realized there was a, you know, there was a lot more opportunity 
that I could carve out for myself once I realized I really love still life and, and shooting products and uh, I feel I have a knack for it. And, um, and when you talk about like why you don't hate it yet, like, <laughs> or ever will, like that's why you're actually doing so you're not like trying to force yourself to do something that you're not good at or you don't like, like you're actually following, you know, what, what you enjoy. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the part I don't like is the administrative part, but you know, <laughs> that's part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We so didn't, we didn't bogged down. I mean, yeah, we didn't talk about that that much, I guess. So it's like, that's, that's like a reality for everyone. I don't think I anticipated how horrible that would be in running a business. So like, I guess, I guess th- what, what part of that, what part of that would you say, like, same, same type of thing. If someone's trying to start a business, like what warning signs would you, would you give them? Or like what, what tripped you up or like, what would be your advice on that front? You know, I don't know if there's really any advice that I could give other than be ready, um, like try nope. to always build on what you started with. Right. Because like when I first started and, and still it, it slows me down all the time is if someone contacts me and asks me for an estimate, sometimes I just sit on it. It takes forever. Right. Um, and when I first started doing it, I would draw up a template from scratch in Adobe Acrobat every time. And it would take me hours. And now I just, I have a template, I plug in the numbers and I send it and that's it. And like, that sounds very, that sounds very familiar. (laughs) You have to find shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah, you have to find, yeah, you have to pro- process, process, process. I think that should and, be like on everyone's wall, right? And well, also I, I keep a, a notebook in my back pocket <laughs> at all times. Um, I don't always use it, but when I do, it's to make lists of things I need to get done and equipment. Um, so like before any shoot, I'll write out an equipment list of everything I need and I prefer to write it just because I, when I type things out, you know, I put it in Google notes or whatever. I just, it doesn't stick in, it doesn't stick in your brain the same way. It doesn't. So I, I, I've made a rule for myself that I write out a list of all my equipment and anything I might forget to think about before, like the day before the shoot or when I'm leaving for the shoot in that notebook. And that's been extremely helpful. I mean, there have been days when I've said, you know, screw it. I'm just, I'm just not going to write these notes. And I've paid for it. Right. I mean, almost every time that I don't do it, I, I've, you know, it comes back to, to haunt me. But, um, yeah, I, as someone who's not quite, uh, is it right-brained? <laughs> oh, you know, I, if, I was the, if I was the correct side brain, I'd probably know the answer to that. But I don't. So <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> Not super, uh, I guess, list-oriented. Um, I mean, it's something that's really helped me. And I think that going back to your question, for someone who's coming out of school, I think the most important thing you could do is make a list of what you want, like what you hope to have in five years, and then immediately start <laughs> working as hard as you can to make every opportunity happen like never leave a stone unturned yeah um yeah yeah no it's good advice man all right i've kept you for like an hour so let's let's wrap up where can where can people find you um on the internet if they want to if they want to see some of your work 
Okay, uh, my website is keithgreenbaum.com. That's www.k-e-i-t-h-g-r-e-e-n-b-a-u-m.com. And my Instagram is keithgreenbaumstudio. I love I love your Instagram. It's like you talk about like having an eye for the still life type of stuff. And before, you know, like when I first started like realizing you you had a business like I don't know when it was couple maybe a couple of years ago I don't know what it was and I started seeing your work I was like this is dope like why is this lotion look so cool like <laughs> it's like the craziest thing like you have this whole feed of of photos of stuff that like inherently doesn't seem like it should be interesting but like it's like why is this look so why does this look so dope like so it's like it's really it's really cool so like even I, I would think like even if you're not a prospective client or something, it's just like a cool feed to follow. Like it's, it's cool. So it's, it's really, you're doing awesome work and it's, it's cool to see. It's been cool to see you, you evolve and and grow. And I'm just, I'm excited to see what you keep working on, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. And same to you. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, the tables on you sometime and interview you for my podcast. All right. (laughs) Let's (laughs) Yeah. Let's do, you got a lot. Hey, we can help you launch it if you want. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Keith. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been uh, another episode of Create Smarter. We'll see you all next time.